Well, it has certainly been a blessing to share these three days with you, and I thank the Lord for it and grateful for the fellowship, but also grateful for the spiritual enrichment of our lives, and that has made it very, very well worth it. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of these days with you. Will you take your Bibles and open them with me, please, tonight to the book of Psalms, chapter 27. I realize that sometimes preachers in their preparations for a message or a sermon or a lesson do a lot of research and study and so on. But I'm going to be very honest with you. Most of what I teach and preach truly just came out of my own personal quiet time in the Word of God. That's really the only way I know to do it. I, I'm not smart enough to complicate things. And so I love to just take what God gives me and pass it on. Well, that's what I'm going to do tonight. In fact, I haven't even typed my notes into a computer. I haven't even been able to really prepare a formal copy. In fact, I'm going to speak tonight from my own personal journal. In fact, the notes are entitled Tuesday, February the 18th, which was last Tuesday. But I want to share a message with you that God just gave to me the other day when I got thinking about two words in the Bible. Think about this phrase for just a moment. One thing. One thing. Now, folks, I've preached messages about discouraged Christians, disobedient Christians, defiled Christians. But, you know, I think it's necessary from time to time maybe to preach a message on distracted Christians. And I only say that not to sound critical, but to state the fact that unfortunately many of God's people in our generation are having a real hard time keeping the main thing the main thing. It's not that we're interested in bad things or wrong things. Many of the things that occupy our lives are good and right. But if they're not the best, we're missing something. So tonight I want to take you to three passages of Scripture where this phrase, one thing, is found. And I want to share it with you in a way that I hope and pray will challenge you to live what I would like to think of as the blessing of a simplified life. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us and then we'll begin. Father... I sure have loved being here for these three days. It's always amazing to me how you come to a place feeling like a, a stranger in, in a sense, and yet it doesn't take long till there is a, a kinship that develops and the fellowship that develops, and I certainly have felt that way here, and I thank you for it. Now, Lord, it would be my desire tonight to be a help. I know it's been a a big weekend, and many of us have spent a lot of time here doing a lot of things. But God, I pray that tonight in this simple message, you will again 
challenge us even as we begin another week, a new week. May we this week keep the main thing, the main thing. Thank you for what you'll teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I suppose that in some ways maybe I have a bit of a, an unusual mindset. But I like to live simple. For a lot of years, we traveled as a family in a fifth-wheel travel trailer. Uh, probably our biggest trailer was 43 feet long. You say, wow, that's huge. Folks, that's 300 square feet for five of us. But I want to tell you something. We loved trailer life. You want to know why? Because trailer life simplifies life. You basically take the things you have to have so that you can do the things you have to do. Really. You don't have room for a lot of extras. I kind of like that. There's something kind of neat to me about heading out on a trip and carrying a suitcase and my briefcase out and putting it in the truck and a few hanging clothes kind of like I did this weekend and, and my whole life is right there. I, I kind of enjoy that. I've been on a number of big game hunts out west and I always love it when we load up our backpacks and we head into the mountains and know that we aren't going to see civilization for a week to ten days and your whole life, everything you need is on your back. Now maybe I'm a little weird, but I love that approach to life. And the reason I love it is life becomes more simple at times like that. And the only things that are part of life are the things you need for what you're ultimately seeking to accomplish. You know, there's a sense in which tonight I wish we could take that concept and program it into our relationships with the Lord. Tonight we're going to be looking at three individuals. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist David. In the Gospels, Mary of Bethany. And from the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul. Here's what I can tell you about these three individuals. Each one of them had come to the point in their life where they only had what they had to have to do what they needed to do. And their testimony is recorded for us. Follow along with me. We begin tonight in Psalm chapter 27. Notice verse number 4 begins with the two words that we're talking about. David says, one thing. Can I pause right there and just simply say, he didn't say these 20 things I mess around with. One thing. Have I desired of the Lord? That will I seek after. 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Drop down with me to verse number 8. When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. If tonight you're taking notes in this message, maybe you'd like to write down this first point. Psalm 27.4 speaks to us of David's pursuit. David was pursuing something. He had an agenda. He had a mission. He had a goal. He had an ambition. There was something he wanted more than anything else in the world. Interestingly enough, there are three words in this chapter that help us to understand that pursuit a little better. The first one is the word dwell, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If you use a dictionary to define this word, you find that it means to settle down. To settle down, to sit down, to remain. David was saying, from this day on, the one thing I want is to live in the presence of God. I want to live my life so close to God that nothing comes between me and my God. But notice, a second word is in this verse that helps us. It's the word behold. To behold the beauty of the Lord. If I was going to use a dictionary to help me understand this word, I would find that it word, the word actually means to gaze or for the sake of this little outline, to stare at something. It has to do with focus. It has to do with concentration. But then thirdly, there's the word inquire. Notice how he uses it and to inquire in his temple. The word means to consider, and throughout the Old Testament is often translated to seek or to search. So here's what you have. David says, I have a pursuit. One thing I desire, I want to settle in the presence of God and stare and seek. You understand the word seek. David used it several times. Most of us grew up at some stage of our childhood or our younger life playing hide and seek. We played it in the daylight, but it was played best in the dark. And you remember how it was? Someone is chosen to be it and they go put their nose in the corner and they count to 10 if you're playing with toddlers. They count to 100 if you're playing with 12-year-olds. They count to 1,000 if you're playing with teenagers. 
And then they announce, ready or not, here I come. And what do they do? They begin to seek. Pursuit. And they're going with one thing in mind, to find that which they are seeking for, to find the person they are seeking for. Folks, don't let me be overly simplistic to the point that you miss the truth. What will you be pursuing this week? What is the one thing that this coming week, these next seven days, you want more than anything else in your life? David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. Now let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 10 in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10, you will remember that throughout the Gospels there are frequent references to two sisters named Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus who lived in Bethany. From what we understand in the Gospels, not only did Jesus love these people and not only did they love him, but they spent a lot of time together. Apparently Jesus would come to Bethany, he would come to their home, and they would share time together. Well, when we come to verse 38, we're at a one of those times. Came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. And said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Stop there for a moment. You ladies amaze me. You can walk into the kitchen a half hour before mealtime, open a cabinet, open a box, open the oven, and 30 minutes later serve a full meal to your family. But if you word that company is coming, it takes to get ready. <laughs> Honestly, I've watched my mother do it my whole life. I've watched my wife do it my whole life with her. I mean the lists and the menus and the schedules. I mean it starts with polishing the dining room table and then the linen tablecloth and out comes the, the china and the crystal and the silver and I'm going, look, I can eat off a paper plate and drink out of a styrofoam cup. I don't care. <laughs> oh, but we're having company. Oh, yeah. And then we start preparing that meal and it's not good enough to just have one meat. It's not good enough to just have one kind of potatoes. It's not good enough to just have one salad and one vegetable and one kind of rolls and one dessert. Oh, no. It's like a buffet. By the way, I think I get it. And I'll give Martha the benefit of the doubt because wouldn't you and I have done the same thing if Jesus was coming? 
Of course we'd have given him our best. So try and get the picture. Dinner is going to be held there in Bethany with Jesus that evening. 30 minutes before the meal, let's just peek in the kitchen. You know, maybe I'm using my imagination. Maybe I'm not too far off. The stress level is about this high. Can't you see Martha? She's just scrambling from one thing to another. The potato water boils over. The biscuits burn. Oh no, I forgot to get out the jelly for the rolls. And the whipped cream for the jello salad is still in the freezer. And can you just see her scrambling around? And she's just about had it when all of a sudden she just stops and <sighs> takes this big deep breath. And she says it out loud, where is Mary? Now, I don't want to over-dramatize this, but I think I see it. I can hear it as she smacks the spatula down on the counter and she takes the hot pads and whips them across the counter and she turns off the stove, slams the oven shut, and goes marching into the living room. Tell me if you think I'm right. Of course I'm right. Her, her cheeks are all red. There's little beads of sweat. You know, her hair that was fixed so nicely in the morning has danglies now. And there's icing smeared on her chin and flour and gravy splashed on her apron. I mean, she is just beside herself. By the way, can serving God, can serving Jesus become like that? It can, if you're not careful. So she marches into the living room and she's just ready to grab Mary by the hair and drag her out to the kitchen. And even when she speaks, you can almost pick up the tone of voice. Tell her to come help me. But boy, do I love these next two verses. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, cool it. <laughs> now you have to study it in the original Greek to find that, but it is there, I'm telling you. Martha, Martha, thou art careful, thou art full of care and troubled about, and look at this, many things. Oh, wow, does that not describe life for so many of us? Many things. I was in my just study time the other day. I made a list of the way things go in life. And I, I wasn't intending to use words that all started with the letter C. But man, did I come up with a list. Clattered, crowded, crammed, cluttered, confused, cramped, clouded. And then I started going to the dictionary and I read things like uh, filling, 
to excess, uncomfortably full. Perplexed, bewildered, noisy, confused, severely limited in space to fill or litter with the things in a disorderly manner. And I'm, going, I'm just going through this list and I was almost getting chest pains reading it. <laughs> Many things. Folks, does that not describe where life often deteriorates? And then Jesus, in his classic way, verse 42 says, here it comes, but one thing is needful. He contrasts Martha's many things to Mary's one thing. If you are taking notes, write it down. Number two, Mary's priority. Many things didn't matter. One thing did in Mary's life. One thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Here's the interesting contrast. Martha was interested in feeding Jesus. Mary was interested in being fed by Jesus. Martha was interested in physical nourishment. Mary in spiritual nourishment. Martha was seeking temporary satisfaction from a good meal of food. Mary was seeking permanent satisfaction from a good meal in the Word. See? What a tremendous lesson. To those of us in this day and age who live in a culture that for the most part could often be described as busy, noisy, and crazy. And then we wonder why the stress level stays so high. Could it be that, be, that some of us just have forgotten how to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word and receive what he has for us. Amen. One thing is needful. But now I want you to go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look for a moment at the Apostle Paul. And again, if you're taking notes, write it down this way. Number three, Paul's passion. David's pursuit, Mary's priority, Paul's passion. It's interesting to me that though the verse we want to focus on is verse 13, you have to almost back up to verse 7 to really get the context. And when you do, you notice what Paul is talking about in his life. There are three similar phrases that appear. Notice it in verse 12. That I may win Christ. Notice it in verse 10. That I may know Him. 
Notice it in verse 12, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You get the sense that Paul was living a very Christ-centered, Christ-focused life. By the way, that's evident and obvious throughout the writings of Paul. To Paul, being a Christian was more than just having the name Christian. It was Christ. It was the life of Christ in and through his life. But how did that become a reality? I think it's interesting that in verse 7 he said, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Verse 8, I count all things but loss. Verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things. You know, isn't it interesting that many of us live life with a clenched fist. We cling to things. It's mine. I made it. I bought it. I learned it. I have it. It's mine. Women, there is something significant that happens in your life when you are willing to release your grip. Open hands are a sign of a surrendered heart. And you let go of all the me, myself, and my parts of your life. So that's why Paul could say it this way. Verse 13 Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But, here it is a third time, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Got news for you, Paul wasn't just going through the motions. Paul was being driven by a passion. Can I ask you, in the next seven days of the upcoming week, what passion will drive you? What passion will motivate you? What passion will keep you going. Can you imagine if this congregation of people tonight were to leave this place with a passion that this week we would know Christ and in so doing we would lose anything and everything that interfered and we would reach and we would press toward everything that would contribute so that it could be said a week from today that in the past week I got to know God better. I got to know Jesus better. I lived more for Him than I've ever lived in my life. 
You see, my brothers and sisters, what so often happens is that in our lives, when we struggle with what we're going to pursue and we struggle with priorities and we struggle with passions, do you know what happens to Jesus? He becomes only something in our life. Now that's not all bad because if he's something, at least he has a piece and a place and a part of our lives. But he doesn't want to just be something. He wants to be everything. And if he's going to be everything, then you and I must be willing to adopt a one thing lifestyle and the main thing has got to be the main thing. And everything else has to filter down and fall into place in a lesser part of our life. Back in 2016, I was on one of my trips to India. And I was teaching several pastors conferences of course, my actual position involves being president of a Bible college in southern India. And so I was there at the college, but we also had scheduled several pastors' conferences, two-day events, and I would basically just teach for two days in these various venues to these pastors. The second pastors' conference was attended by about 200 pastors. Among them were a hundred men from the northern regions of India. I had actually raised about $6,000 here in the United States and we paid the way for these men. Some of them traveled up to three days by bus or train or on foot and motorcycle to get to the conference. One day we were between sessions and I was just outside uh, walking around, just kind of getting a break mentally and getting some fresh air and getting a drink and, and so on. And a man approached me, introduced himself to me. We did a little talking. We discovered that we both had been in this ministry about the same amount of time. We were approximately the same age. He told me where he pastored. And then he began to tell me about his church. He told me that the village had been attacked by Hindu extremists. He told me that many of the homes of the believers had been destroyed, burned told me that many of their people had lost their jobs and their possessions. He told me that over 70 of his church members had been martyred for the cause of Christ. And then he said this, and I've never forgotten it, I never will. He said, we have nothing left but Jesus. 
men and women, I wanted to get down on the ground in the dirt and lay at his feet, and I am not being overly sensational at this moment. I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed. My immediate thought was, why in the world did they bring this spoiled brat of an American Christian preacher to come speak to these people? For days, even into weeks, I struggled with a depression my wife could tell you I came home from that trip and it was weeks till I began to function emotionally and mentally as I wanted to. I would sit in my room there in India while the rest of that trip went on and I would just stare in the darkness and the thought kept going to me through my mind. Could I make it if all I had was Jesus? If everything that was a part of my life was removed and taken away and all I had left was my relationship to Jesus, would that be enough? And forgive me if I'm honest, but at times I said to myself, I don't know if I could. Because I've so become so conditioned to the comforts and conveniences and the things and the thrills and the possessions and pleasures of this life and all of them are a part of making my life feel good. And it actually scared me that at that point maybe I wouldn't make it. Folks, we need to be a generation of one thing, followers. It's not that you walk out of this building today and get rid of and cut the ties with everyone and everything else. But what it does mean is that in my life and in your life, in the next seven days, the Lord Jesus is our pursuit and our priority and our passion. And that nothing else holds a higher place in our lives. Let's bow our heads and let's be quiet before the Lord tonight. I wish I could tell you that the thoughts I've shared with you tonight are an everyday living reality in my own life. I'm not sure that they are but I'd like them to be. I desire that they would be. And I want even this week to again endeavor to make them that. I wonder about you tonight. Tomorrow we begin a Monday morning. We begin a new week. What is the one thing this coming week that will matter to you more than anything. Folks, I don't have any questions to ask tonight. I don't need you to lift your hand to indicate anything to me. This isn't about you and me. This is about you and your God. And I just wonder if tonight there are some of us who just need to get alone in a one-on-one -on -one moment with God and say, God, I've not lived a one-thing life 
but I would like to simplify my life to the point that I can live for what really matters most. Brother at the piano, if you would be able to just quietly begin to play an invitation hymn this evening. I wonder if there are some men and women across this auditorium that right now just need to get up out of your seat and walk down the aisle. You can kneel or sit here at the front and would you spend a moment with your God and confess to Him that many things often keep you from the one thing. Would you do that right now? Why not just get up and come? We're not going to sing. We don't need song books. Just get up and come and you and God talk it out. We're just going to be quiet. You have that opportunity right now to respond to what God has said to us tonight. Jesus be your number one pursuit your top priority and your greatest passion it's your choice we need to live intentionally for him let's just let God have his way as we wait quietly My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much, Lord, for uh, the opportunities that we have to come into your presence. Uh, Lord, I would ask that you might send the Holy Spirit upon us to reveal uh, that one thing that's hindering us from surrendering all to Christ. And Lord, may you give us the grace and strength, Lord, to be able to remove it from our life, that we might be drawn closer to you and we might be molded in the very image of the Son of God. And so bless us, Lord. We need you every hour. Uh, we need a refreshing touch from God. And so speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand. We're going to sing.